0: Slump Buster Podcast. Slump Buster Podcast. The first quarter starts now. There's too many times in a game where there's simple,
1: simple things that just are not being accomplished. Guys who are making too many mistakes shouldn't be playing. You know, we got to start cutting some reps. Aaron Rodgers saying, got to start cutting some reps. This is coming also as the Packers are double-digit Underdogs against the Buffalo Bills, the largest betting line against Aaron Rodgers led team in at least over a decade, right?
0: It's in Aaron Rodgers' entire career. We can confirm it. Aaron Rodgers has never been a double digit underdog as the quarterback of the Packers.
1: What do you think is the biggest attribution to that line? Is it just the Bills are that damn good or is it the Packers are that damn bad?
0: I'm going to go Bills. Probably is the reason it's 10 and a half specifically. I'm going to I'm going to say that's bills. But I mean, if the Lions were playing the bills, they might be 10 and a half point dogs. Like that's the weird part about this whole thing right now. It's weird how that's played out. Basically, if you're doing NFL tiers, it's basically like Buffalo, Kansas City, Fifty feet of crap, and then everyone else at this point, like that's kind of what I'm looking at. But Buffalo is going to be huge favorites against anyone. It's not to say there isn't problems with the Packers. That the Packers within that fifty feet of crap that I just mentioned, and quoting the the legendary Moneyball movie, it, it smells a whole lot like desperation. That's, that's the smell I'm getting from Green Bay as they kind of maneuver through that that group of mediocre teams. It's starting to smell a little bit like desperation because uh, they are really struggling offensively and don't have answers. And uh, this is kind of what happens when you do a last dance like they did last year. They said it was a last dance. They built the roster like it was the last dance. Now you're living with the ramifications of that. I just didn't think it would all <laughs> fall apart so quickly.
1: You know, the funny thing about declaring your team a last dance, the 90s Bulls won the championship. I think too many teams have tried to indoctr the last dance philosophy into their coming seasons and have failed stop doing it it's starting almost come off like a jinx
0: it's not that it's a jinx it's that it's just the reality of the situation like remember when the New Orleans Saints did a last dance in 2020 with Drew Brees' last season they built that roster up to go a hundred million dollars over the salary cap the next season like it was going to be the last dance no matter what because there was nothing they could do to keep that team together there was nothing the Packers could do to keep that thing together because they were like 58 million dollars over the cap coming into this year and and only because Aaron Rodgers restructured his contract were they able to get under the cap.
1: All I'm saying is if we're going to invoke the last championship team of the Chicago Bulls, your season has to end in a championship. That's what Michael Jordan, and Scottie Pippen and the Bulls did. If you are going to use the last dance, you are almost guaranteeing, you're almost Dave Roberts World Series guaranteeing that your team is going to be winning a championship what what if we think of it differently what
0: what if we think of it as you're guaranteeing that your team is going to be screwed the next season what if that's what the last dance means it means your team is going to be screwed the next season because that's what happened to the bulls that's what happened to the saints that's what happened to the packers you declare it a last dance because you know your roster is absolutely screwed the season after you complete that last dance (laughs) well then we're
1: just rewriting the definition and don't want to lose sight of those comments though by Aaron Rodgers. It's interesting to hear him talk about his younger teammates. And we know that Aaron Rodgers hasn't been necessarily the most embracing guy of younger teammates in the past. We've all seen some rigidity there. Uh, we talked about guys like Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Equinemius St. Brown. There was some pushback by Aaron Rodgers at that time to really take him under his wing. And we, we saw how that played out. You go back to the Niners game last year. Look at the target share. 10 targets for Devontae Adams, 10 targets for Aaron Jones, one target for Mercedes Lewis, no targets for anyone else. Aaron Rodgers is a guy that he finds his guys and he will keep feeding his guys. And if you're not in that inner circle, if you're not in that circle of trust, you're an afterthought in this offense. There's, only been so few guys over the last decade that have been able to earn Aaron Rodgers' trust. You go back to like a Jordy Nelson, Greg Jennings, tail end, Donald Driver, uh, Jared Cook that one year. Randall Cobb. Randall Cobb. Randall Cobb, who is going to be tied to the hip to Aaron Rodgers until both decide to retire. I think as far as speculation, as far as who these guys are that he's talking about, I'd say Romeo Dupes, Christian Watson, These guys just kind of aren't getting really any kind of looks.
0: Have you seen A.J. Dillon's snap counts over the past few weeks? I think he might be also talking about his his secondary running back as well when he talks about reducing snap counts because A.J. Dillon was a big part of that passing game to start the season, and it's kind of evaporated over the last three to four weeks. Yes,
1: the preseason comment was Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon could both be 50-plus reception guys. It's been a disappointing season all around for this Packers offense. You look at a guy like LaFleur, and I feel like LaFleur is getting a little bit exposed. But Aaron Rodgers, as the quarterback, also shoulders a big amount of the blame here for why this team hasn't been producing offensively.
0: Yeah, my favorite comment this week was I was listening to, uh, I believe it was Aaron Schatz who runs Football Outsiders. You know, I, you hear me quote DVOA all the time. And I believe he was saying, when asked, what's the issue with the Packers? Is it the 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 roster and the receivers? Is it Aaron Rodgers? He's like, yes, yes. That is the problem. It is that they have put an atrocious roster around him and that Aaron Rodgers has declined in production going back to last season. I mean, this is not a shocker. This is like I've been saying Lamar Jackson has been better than Aaron Rodgers ever since he won a unanimous MVP in 2019. But like when you don't give the Baltimore Ravens receivers, Lamar Jackson can at least improvise and make that a top five team in the NFL because Lamar Jackson is uh, versatile in different ways and 15 years younger than Aaron Rodgers. When you don't give Aaron Rodgers those options, it looks like this because this is what it looked like at the end of the McCarthy years also when they were transitioning between Jordy Nelson and early years Devontae Adams and and trying to figure all that out. This is what it looked like at the end of the McCarthy years. And if the Packers defense was playing better, it wouldn't look as atrocious as it does now. I, I still think if you flip one of those results whether it's the the giants the jets or the commanders if you if you flip just a single one of those results i think people aren't hyperventilating about the packers the way that how they are right now i still think the packers will make the playoffs uh despite the fact that they've dropped those games that you know we would chalk up as textbook victories for the packers because they were favored in all three of those games um but it's it's pretty clear that if they're making the playoffs they're another one of these bullshit teams like we talked about with the new York Giants.
1: Having Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback is, yes, it can bring you to the highest of highs or at least close to them. It also is exhausting because he's good enough, unlike a Baker Mayfield, to make comments like this and get away with it. However, when if we were just to analyze the comments and the play diminishing, the, these are not comments you want your quarterback saying about other players on the roster this is not something that you can feel too good about if you're any of those younger wide receivers or any of the other guys on the offense, you have to be thinking like, in a way, Frank, Aaron, what the fuck? <laughs> right. And yes. Someone should be holding people accountable. Adults can occasionally hold other people accountable, but I think there's different settings doing it on your buddy's show, doing it on Pat McAfee's show. I don't know if it's necessarily the best venue to do that. I, I feel like that just, Erodes any kind of like trust that these
0: guys have in him as this isn't the leader of their team. Aaron Rodgers doesn't care. Aaron Rodgers, if you're not one of the guys, you're not going to be on the team long. I think that's part of the problem, right?
1: Aaron Rodgers doesn't care. And I think when we compare him to like Tom Brady, and maybe Tom Brady cares a little bit too much, right? At times, that's the criticism you would say for Brady. Aaron Rodgers, why he always kind of like falls short in that goat debate or the greatest player debate to me is it doesn't feel like he gets the same level of enjoyment from football. And he's not the same teammate to me of Aaron Rodgers, of Patrick or of Tom Brady, of Patrick Mahomes, of other guys who've been able to build trust with their other guys. And they're young. I mentioned Patrick Mahomes. He's a young guy. So maybe time to learn. There's maybe going to be a wide receiver that steps away from the team and really throws him under the bus. You could argue, was that already Kyrie That's not
0: exactly, this isn't what I meant when I said Aaron Rodgers doesn't care. I meant Aaron Rodgers doesn't care because those players aren't going to be on the team long. Those players that he's reducing snap counts and can't build a rapport with, those are players that aren't going to be on the team. It's weeding out the players that he doesn't want on the team so that they can then bring in other people. And Christian Watson's going to be on the team because... They spent a a high draft pick on him, so he's going to get more of a leash because the Packers aren't just going to get rid of him. But if you're talking about Dobbs, if you're talking about Sammy Watkins, if we're talking about even possibly A.J. Dillon, depending on how you feel about those snap counts, those are just players that aren't long for the team and that's the part of why he won't care is because those players aren't going to be on the team we'll bring in new people we'll try again and see how it works after that but the difference is now Aaron Rodgers is 38 instead of being 28 so it, it, it doesn't look exactly the same and maybe this is how the end looks but again it's it's still super weird that he's still in Green Bay right like we all thought he was headed out the door and he's still in Green Bay so like this that
1: extension is... yeah at a certain point there's no one to blame in the room but you for deciding you well want to stick I mean, around.
0: let's 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 also say they have one of the worst receiving cores in the NFL and also part of it is Aaron Rodgers. Like but both he knew things this can was be part of the deal. this deal.
1: He knew this was part of the deal when he was signing back with Green Bay and he said in the past he felt blindsided by Devontae Adams leaving. Yes. However, if you listen to Devontae's comments, he sounds like he was pretty sure he was out the door. So I don't know what those internal conversations were like between the two. But one thing is clear, Devontae knew he was out and Aaron Rodgers might have known, but still decided to sign the contract it, it's anyway. When
0: you, it's when you're going through a breakup in a relationship and you still hold on to the hope that the person will come back because uh, you, you want to believe in that possibility, and that didn't end up happening with Devontae Adams. Adams knew what was best for him, and the Packers ended up negotiating a trade for him, but I mean, we see what's happening with Devontae Adams at the Raiders. That's not going to fix all their problems, and also I will say... If the Packers defense were playing better and not getting cooked by Curtis Samuel, like if their defense was playing better, it would mask some of these problems and they might still be only a half game behind the the Vikings. It's just you
1: see Taylor Heineke's no look pass to Terry McLaurin that worked out.
0: Yeah, no, I don't know what happened. That defense was totally overwhelming last year, and it's most of the same names. I guess it's like, hey, shocker, Devondre Campbell and Rasul Douglas are not all pro players, but like, I'm still surprised that it's it's fallen off that quickly for that defense.
1: I mean, they're not allowing a terrible amount of points, really.
0: I mean, they gave up 27 to the Giants and 24 to Washington, which is an indictment of your defense because... The good defense is walking backwards, give up three points to those teams. I mean, not the Giants as much, but they give up 10 points to the Giants and three points to Washington. I and think Green Bay just...
1: the difference is in the past, the Packers would be able to outscore a team that only put up 23 on them versus only putting up 21 themselves. But,
0: but this is also part of why the Packers were an elite team the last two seasons. Like, yeah, Aaron Rodgers was playing MVP football, but they had a top five defense each of the last two seasons that that's secondary. We were talking about it like a murderer's row of cornerbacks and, and it's not that anymore. And part of it is they're not forcing turnovers and turnovers again, mask a lot of your defensive problems. So if they're not forcing turnovers, then it's not masking some of your defensive concerns and giving your offense some help, but they were so good the past yeah. couple of years. And Obviously losing Z'Darrius Smith doesn't help, but it's, it's not like they're a hugely different team from the past couple of years.
1: I'll refrain from burying them completely only because the Niners started three and five last season. The Packers currently with this Bills game are on a crash course for three and five as well. The Niners still made it to the NFC Championship game. Weirder things have happened. Obviously you still have what we think. We don't know what we think is an elite quarterback in Aaron Rodgers you face the Lions the week after that. You face the Cowboys, the Titans, the Eagles. Schedule is actually kind of tough. Oh, actually, as I kind of sounded out, that actually is kind of a tough schedule. You get the Bears at some point.
0: <laughs> so- like like I said, the, the Packers are still a playoff team, but that's because the NFC is a bunch of bullshit this year. <laughs> there, there's barely seven teams that are worthy of the playoffs in the NFC. So the Packers are still a playoff team. It's just we had expectations that they would be one of the best teams in the NFC. And that is, that is not the case. Here's
1: what I'll tell you. We expect them to lose this game to the Bills. We expect them to win the game against the Lions. That game against the Cowboys, November 13th, that is going to be whether or not their season lives or dies. If they lose that game, I think it's legitimately over for them because it doesn't get easier from that point. Really? They face the Titans, who are really? a division-leading team the following week. They face the Eagles. I think the Rams are still going to pose some issues for them. The Dolphins are much improved. The Vikings, we saw, was able to kick their ass in week one. They get another Lions game. But if you told me the Lions were able to actually split with them this year, I think that that's completely within the realm of possibilities. The Lions have kind of been knocking on the door, beating the Packers for the last few years.
0: Yeah, the Packers are kind of an eight or nine win team this year on paper. And had they beaten Washington, they would have been probably at nine wins. So, that yeah, they got to make that up somewhere because – they're going to be uh, what I like to call in the mix, which is one of these uh, these handful of teams that's fighting for wildcard spots like the Niners were last year. These guys are on fire. Let's hear more. Second quarter starts now.
1: Sam Ellinger has been promoted to the starting quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts. Heard it's an injury discussion for Matt Ryan. I've also heard that Jim ursay has been pushing for this one. What say you when you heard the Sam Allinger news?
0: This is genuinely one of the funniest things that's happened all season, because the Colts went out of their way to say, we know he has a shoulder injury, but we're still benching his ass anyways. Like, they didn't just say they were making the quarterback switch. They said they were making quarterback switch for the season. For the season. There is no window for Matt Ryan to get his job back. This essentially makes him the third string quarterback on the Indianapolis Colts, because if, say, Sam Ellinger gets popped on one of these plays, we got Nick. It falls at quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts at this point. Like the fact that they went out of their way to say they're going to give Ellinger the 10 weeks to play is what I would argue is the right move for the team. I I say this all the time. If you're going to be a terrible offense be terrible and play the rookie. And I know Sam Ellinger isn't a rookie at this point, but Sam Ellinger kind of follows the same script of a Desmond Ritter or a Kenny Pickett or a Malik Willis this year of like, if your team's going to be bad, just play the young guy and see what you can get. The thing that's so weird about it is we all assumed the Colts were a playoff team, right? Like we all kind of like penciled the Colts in as the AFC South champion at the start of the year.
1: I didn't. The Titans have ran this division for the last couple of years. I mean, the Colts, I expected them compete for the division, which I'm more disappointed them that they weren't even really competing with the division. They just got swept by those tight ends. However, I would say this from a football standpoint, I do think Sam Allinger gives them a better chance to win because it's not like Matt Ryan was doing anything exceptional to help this team win. Uh, he's thrown a lot of interceptions. He was one of the most sack quarterbacks in the league which is partially in the offensive line, which we thought was good, but it really isn't that good anymore. I think Sam Allinger from a football perspective gives him a better chance to win because he can actually move around in the pocket, which I think is going to be one of his biggest strengths when you compare him to Matt Ryan this year, this iteration, 37-year-old Matt Ryan, just can't move in the same way that Sam Allinger can move. You look at the Colts preseason games, there were some flashes that kind of gave you a little bit of enthusiasm for the Sam Ellinger hype train if you were an Indianapolis Colts fan. Because you saw flashes. You you saw him lead like game-winning drives in the preseason. And hopefully that translates. If there's one thing you could say about Sam Ellinger, and Longhorns fans will say this as well. He's a gamer. He had the win in Red River against Kyler Murray. He had the Sugar Bowl win against Georgia. He's played in some big-time spots. And the last time the University of Texas was winning big-time games was with Sam Allinger under center. There's nothing wrong in giving Sam Allinger a chance to at least play it out. If he works and this offense starts rolling and starts moving the ball a little bit better, how can you complain considering this was one of the worst offenses in the NFL? Oh, there's not just one to, of
0: there's... the worst. According to DVOA's, uh, Football Outsiders DVOA rankings, they are ranked 32 in the NFL as of right now. They are the worst offense in the National Football League at this point in the season. So nowhere else to go but up at this exactly. point.
1: Exactly. Nowhere else to go but up. And I think that Sam Allinger gives them a chance in that respect. Worst case, If they do still remain a sucky offense, well, then you go into the draft and then the Colts have to play that game of rookie quarterback, which will be a bit of a different thing because they've been going this veteran quarterback route so long. They have literally paid 12 different quarterbacks, $145 million since 2018. Since (laughs) Andrew
0: That's incredible. Wow. I didn't realize that was the case. That is genuinely incredible. Wow. They've had 12 different quarterbacks in five years. That's incredible. Not necessarily starters, but at least 12 different
1: quarterbacks that they've rotated through, many of which got significant playing time. And you could obviously trace all the issues back to the unexpected Andrew Luck retirement. From an organizational standpoint, a lot of people are questioning. Is it time for the Colts to finally let Chris Ballard go? Because clearly he's failing to find a quarterback. The thing about Chris Ballard is he wasn't supposed to be finding a quarterback right now. He was supposed to have a younger 30s Andrew Luck playing for him. So now he's been having to play this game of who's the best free agents that we can find. We can't get Tom Brady? Sure, then let's go to the next best. Well, we found Philip Rivers. We can't get Russell Wilson. Let's get Matt Ryan. We can't get Aaron Rodgers. Let's get yada yada. It's not for lack of trying, I guess is my point.
0: Yeah, no, because you mentioned the $145 million, we could double down on the fact that they gave up a first round pick for Carson Wentz. They ended up flipping Wentz for a third and giving up two thirds to get Matt Ryan. So that's, you know, the equivalent of giving up Carson Wentz and a third round pick to acquire Matt Ryan, which not great, but also not the end of the world either. Indianapolis, this is a situation where this has gone so poorly that someone is going to get fired. I don't know who it's Going to be. And quite frankly, when it comes to Chris Ballard, it's like, I don't know if you're going to be able to find better than Chris Ballard. If you fire him, you just do it to say that you did it at that point, and like you get a certain number of chances. So, like maybe Frank Reich is the fall guy. Like, I'm not exactly sure what the fix is here for Indianapolis. It's just they have wasted having Quentin Nelson and Darius Leonard on rookie contracts by using that money to rotate in the revolving door of quarterbacks. And they didn't really have a rookie option either. It was just kind of a a damned if you do if you don't situation for the Colts where they've just been paying for expensive quarterbacks instead of going the, the cheap route and just trying to use that money elsewhere. It's not like they're saving money by benching Matt Ryan either. I was like, well, maybe this is like a contract clause situation where if he plays a certain number of staffs, nope, money's fully guaranteed. 17 mil is already guaranteed for next year. Another 20 million is fully guaranteed if he's on the roster after the I think 2022's third league year day, he's not going to. So they'll have to pay 17 mil to get him. It's just a $41 million. L. I, I guess
1: one of the things I've credited the Colts for is they don't seem to double down on mistakes. They admitted Carson Wentz was a mistake. So they moved on. They are admitting that Matt Ryan was a mistake, so they're moving on internally with Sam Elnger. The question is, was Frank Reich a mistake? And you can argue, it's hard to call Frank Reich a mistake considering how he ended up there in Indianapolis in the first place. (laughs) The first guy you hired bailed on you. Was Chris Ballard a mistake? He's made a lot of successful draft picks and... Transactions, getting to force Buckner on this team, turning a Darius Leonard or Shaq Leonard onto his roster. Those are things that you can look at and hold Chris Ballard in high esteem for. But you can also say that there's been some misses and there's some obvious misses on this roster. And the evaluation of the quarterback seems to be a blind spot for them. And unfortunately, if you have a blind spot at the quarterback position, you're not going to be in the league too long. You just have a short shelf life whenever you have a blind spot at the quarterback position in particular.
0: So I think you're correct. The thing that's interesting to me is for those who don't know, Chris Ballard is the guy who built the first run of the Chiefs and then he got fired and Brett Veach took over and they drafted Mahomes and you know, the rest is kind of history. So like he was the Alex Smith, Kansas City Chiefs guy. Then he goes to the Colts. And I assume, I mean, I don't know exactly, but I assume if he gets fired, he would have immediately find another job somewhere else i'm not 100 sure on that i just that's fine i would assume i mean that's fine that's
1: you can't be held hostage by someone else will hire this person if i fire them and that's what it ultimately comes down to it's not like it's a hard luck type thing it's sorry it just doesn't seem like it's <laughs> i see a what fit. you did you, there <laughs> I didn't actually mean to do it, but it's hard it out. luck.
0: Get it? Because because Andrew Luck retired. And if Andrew Luck was still on the team, they would have made a Super Bowl and maybe won the Super Bowl last year. Isn't that kind of funny?
1: Bare minimum, they wouldn't be on the hot seat like they are this year, because it seems like they're going to clean house unless Sam Ellinger can save Frank Reich's job, which is going to be the evaluation point for the rest of the season. I'm just looking around the AFC, obviously winning their division. That's a long shot now that they got swept by the Titans. So they'll have to slide in as a wild card. And the wild card picture in the AFC is a lot better than the wild card picture in the NFC. So it's going to be tougher for them to make that. Uh, they would have to leapfrog a couple teams. And based on early season results, don't see that being the case. The Slow Buster guys are killing it. Half done. Third quarter is beginning now. Kyle, there is only one game between two teams with a winning record, the New York Giants versus the Seattle Seahawks. The Seattle Seahawks, who are leading the NFC West, and I don't know what to really do with that information. Similarly, the New York Giants, who have only lost one game to division rival Dallas. Who are you more impressed by with what they've been able to do to this point in the season?
0: Well, I'd have to go with the Giants because, I mean, the Giants shouldn't be 6-1, and but I didn't think there was any scenario where the Giants would be 6-1, and nearly a lock to make the playoffs over both the Rams and the Packers. And some of that is giants. Some of that is Packers. Some of that is macro level changes in the NFL. Like how offense is at its second lowest total since 2000 this year as defenses play double high safeties and, offenses just run less plays than they have in past years. It's not like they're adjusting by running the ball more. They're just running less plays in general. So that has benefited the New York Giants and and they also have won all of their one possession games, which is uh certainly helpful. So I'll go with the Giants to uh to be the team that I am a most, shall we say, impressed by. Because Seattle, I will give you props. You are you are better than the Cardinals. And I did not think that would be the case going into the season. When it comes to
1: Seattle, I think I'm more impressed by them because I thought that they were a team tearing it down. They were a team that came into through the season with a chip on their shoulder. We just traded away Russell Wilson. We traded away our best franchise quarterback in the history of our team. And we're still here. We haven't gone away. Pete Carroll, we thought this was just kind of his walk off into the sunset type of year when he decided to make the decision to move off Russell Wilson and yet standing again at the top of the division. And yes, that's partially to blame on the Niners. That's partially to blame on the Rams. The fact that again, the Seahawks are once again in this position with less talent on the roster. I think it's hard to ignore what Pete's been able to do with this team, what Pete's been able to do to find the value in Geno Smith, the value that everyone didn't notice and yes, Gino isn't the quarterback that he was through the first four weeks in the season, but he still hasn't really fallen off. He's still amongst the top of the league in terms of QBR, completion percentage. It's still all very good numbers for Gino. In fact, he hit a touchdown to Marquise Goodwin. Surprise, Marquise Goodwin's in the league still, but he hit yeah. a touchdown to him this week that catapulted them over a team that we came into the year, at least some pundits said, Super Bowl favorites, Super Bowl contenders. The Los Angeles Charters, they've fallen on hard times, but the Seattle Seahawks, they don't give a shit about that. They were happy to take advantage of that. And Kenneth Walker is now looking like a top-tier running back in the NFL, was a top-tier running back in college last year, and that is translated to the NFL. So as much as it pains me to say, I got to give the Seahawks their due. Obviously, again, Niners fan, I don't really love doing it. It's not something that comes out of my mouth easily, but the Seahawks have been infinitely better than I thought they were And I don't think that they're going to go away in this playoff picture. At bare minimum, they're going to be competing for a wild card, even if the Niners or the Rams are able to overtake them in the division. I think that they're still a team that we could see them easily fall into that seven seed.
0: Yeah, you mentioned Marquise Goodwin, which for anyone who knows the story of him and his family, that's just a really good story to root for. We should be rooting for Marquise Goodwin. That's a really feel-good story. Oh, his touchdown,
1: C.J. Beathard, after his wife's miscarriage, still one of the most heartwarming moments in sports and Niners fans' history. We'll always remember Marquise Goodwin for at least that.
0: Yeah, and Marquise Goodwin was at home during the Super Bowl as his and after the after the Super Bowl, he got the news that they were finally gonna have a child after three or four miscarriages. It's a fun story to root for. So root for that on a transitional note. I love that Pete Carroll has finally gone to the Mel Tucker strategy of just ripping heaters and calling cool plays for Kenneth Walker. Well it's what I he wanted it. to That's do, right? Strategy. It's what yes. Pete Carroll's been dreaming yes. to do for years. Is just rip heaters, call plays for Kenneth Walker and make ninety-five. 95-
1: or whoever it would be basically just any running back that was in that room Chris Carson before he got hurt the idea was Russ you can cook as a side cook as a sous chef we want to let the running backs in the ground game cook and if you can contribute to the sauce give us a nice bechamel that's fine that's what the Seahawks wanted to do and the let Russ cook movement kind of superseded that at points. We know the stories came out that there was a conflict in that locker room on who would get the ultimate win. And Russ got the win in terms of gain out of Seattle, but it doesn't look like it was for the better when you look at where the standings are currently sitting today.
0: And remember, it's that offense that took Marshawn Lynch from being a good running back in Buffalo, a, a pretty decent running back in Buffalo to a Hall of Famer in Seattle. Let's let's not get that twisted. There is evidence behind this. I think that the the greater solution now is just they finally gave him a super talented running back. And look, I'm San Diego State. I My family went to San Diego State. I watched Rashad Penny, not disrespecting Rashad Penny at all, just should not have been a first round pick. He, he is not coming, the running back that Kenneth he was Walker coming is. on
1: Strong towards the end. And I, I feel for Rashad Penny that he got hurt because he was really starting to turn the corner in his career. In fact, I thought that him and Kenneth Walker could have made a nice one-two punch. Hell, if Chris Carson, Sam type thing, didn't get hurt, could have been a nice one-two punch in addition to this offense. Yeah. Instead, it's Kenneth Walker. And knock on wood, hopefully for Kenneth Walker, he continues to stay healthy because he is an awesome NFL running back. He's an awesome running back and an awesome addition to this offense. We don't know what to do with Geno Smith. I think it's the tough one, right? As much as we want to doubt and downplay his role and his contribution to this team, he's been in the NFC, one of the better quarterbacks on the year. It's hard to dispute. And maybe that speaks more to the NFC. It's a results-oriented business. And Geno Smith has gained the results.
0: Yeah, yeah. We can't be trusted to talk sensibly about Geno Smith at this point, because he has looked absolutely incredible. And that losing DK Metcalf is certainly going to hurt as they go forward here. Uh, I think bare, he's going to be out for an extended period bare of time. Minimum, he's
1: going to get the Teddy Bridgewater treatment, which will mean a lot of
0: cash for Geno Smith. I guess, I guess, is someone who's the team that's going to pay a lot of money for it? Might actually be the Seahawks. The Seahawks might actually be the team that gives him the twenty million dollars a Indianapolis year. Indianapolis
1: is looking.
0: <laughs> I think, Manders. I think it might actually be Seattle. It might be the rare situation where he gets paid by the team that ended up propping him up in the first place. But yeah, I, I think Gino's finally going to get that that Teddy Bridgewater payday of fifty million dollars over two years coming
1: in from the Denver Broncos, and the Broncos are bad, yeah. so. That... <laughs> Way to turn around your organization.
0: It's almost as if they are—they would have been Hall of Famers, guaranteed for that run that they had with the Legion of Boom. Both John Schneider and Pete Carroll, if—if if they hadn't gone six years of winning more games than any team that never made a conference championship. This isn't the year for Seattle. I don't think they are going to probably start to to slide a little bit once they get those. I mean, they beat Arizona, so I don't want to say that Arizona is a good team this and year. And I'm not going
1: like, to give them an easy win against the Niners because. Over the last decade, and even pre-Russ, Pete Carroll and the Seahawks were gaining wins against the San Francisco 49ers. Different regimes I know, but when I think about who's the better coaches in the league, Pete's put himself back up there amongst the top. It's- I told you in the Chargers <laughs> matchup that he was going to run circles around Brandon Staley, and lo and behold, he ran circles around Brandon Staley. He can mm-hmm. come up with a game plan.
0: You say he's back in that category. He never left for me. Like I look at Pete as like he's one of those eight coaches that adds value in the NFL, and there's only eight that I can think of, and it's hard to come up with eight because every other coach is disposable. Is in that Brian sport. Dayball
1: a coach that adds value?
0: We're gonna need a larger sample size to evaluate that. It took John Harbaugh like you eight years for us in to get him to that point. Uh, Then my answer is I don't know. I don't know, and uh-huh. we cannot Give me possibly an answer. Know. But, but i don't, don't know. You know i can't be...
1: you you know we have sample size we have games
0: no like like i was saying we have seven games of dayball. it took seven years and winning a super seven bowl for us to think john harbaugh one was of good. them well with let's not do that, that the, you don't think it's very good i will say actually so i watched a giants game for the first time with like actual intent when they were playing the jaguars now in fairness i was going between that and the padres phillies game but this was the first time since week six of last year that I actually watched a Giants game with intent, and I have to say, Daniel Jones didn't look terrible. And uh, I will say, Daniel Jones, they don't see a future with Daniel Jones. They were just like, "Why would we replace him when he's cheap? Uh, he's cheap, and he's he's cheap, and we're kind of just looking for a transitional quarterback, anyways." So, like, they just kind of said, "Whatever, we'll keep him for a year, and he'll have a meaningless playoff game." It looks like because. The, the New York Giants are six and one, despite having the same plus minus as the two and five Jacksonville Jaguars, who, again, the Jaguars were one and a half yards away from beating the Giants last week. And uh, Jacksonville credit, is.
1: But you get credit for winning the one score games. We rail on the Vikings for losing those one score games. We got to give credit when teams win the one score games.
0: Well, yeah, like it's the reason the Giants are not a playoff team, but at a certain point, if you win enough one score games, you're going to make the playoffs anyways. But like the same bullshit happened with the Eagles last year, and they lost 30-0 once they got there. Like it's it's a bullshit playoff team that's going to get there because they win a lot of one possession. Well, here's the thing,
1: though. It's not like, okay, I I could see like complete bullshit if we were talking about them beating the drags of the league, but they have wins against Baltimore. They have wins against the Packers. They've started to turn the corner in terms of beating good teams. And when I look at the rest of their schedule, and we start talking about this playoff picture coming to fruition, this is obviously a big game here against Seattle. This is a game that has major wildcard implications. But then you get beyond that. They got the Texans and Lions back to back, have an opportunity to get a little bit of a revenge against the Cowboys. They have the Commanders twice to end the year. They have the Eagles. They have the Vikings. They have this Colts team that we talked about Sam Ellinger, another video, go check that out. When we talk about Sam Ellinger, he's going to be starting by that point. We have the Eagles to end the year. They only need a split with the Eagles to earn respect in terms of that division. But if they could just, you know, sweep the games in which, in theory, a team that is six and 6-1 should be able to beat the Texans, should be able to beat the Lions, should be able to beat the Commanders, they're pretty much in. Like, I, I don't want to yeah, jinx it. Look. I'm sure there's some Giants fans that are cursing me, like, don't jinx it. Don't jinx it. We got in this far, but you guys are pretty much it. You, you guys just, you have a clause to fuck up the rest of the year and still be in the playoffs.
0: But why do we pretend like just because you make the playoffs, it makes you a good team? Like there's bullshit playoff teams every year in the NFL. Last year, where well, there were four of them in the, in the playoffs last year. Like bullshit teams make the playoffs all the time. Yes, and that's Yes, just...
1: but there's bullshit teams that make the playoffs with a eight and nine record again if the Giants have lost one game
0: yeah and they'll be I mean I have to acknowledge at this point that they're probably going to be a wild card team because that is the most probable outcome and I hate every time they say that they beat the Ravens the Ravens kicked their ass for 56 and a half minutes and then Lamar Jackson threw a pick and fumbled the ball at the end of the game because he threw up on himself and I'm so mad at Lamar Jackson for doing that because if the Giants were five and two People would be talking matter, about them more sanely won. than if they were six and one. I just, the Ravens lost to the Giants. The Giants did not beat the Ravens. The Ravens lost to the Giants and they threw up on themselves. I will say that, but it just, it, it's, ben, it's don't a small throw up little up on change. Just, we,
1: we talked about the Ravens. Stop blowing games.
0: It doesn't make the Giants better. Like what the Giants have to do to not be a bullshit team is to actually play like a great team. Like the New York Giants are just like all of these seven and ten teams that are all going to end up. Are uh, they not a great team because
1: they're not great by your standards? And when you define great team as your standards, just like they need to be blowing everyone out by 30.
0: No, just evidence that suggests that they're not a team that should be four and three that happens to be six and one. Like, that's kind of the the point there is like they are as good as the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're as good as all of these the seven, eight win teams on paper, like 16 teams in the NFL this year are like seven or eight wins on paper. And the Giants are in that group. So like, it's let just, me ask you,
1: like, when did you buy into the 2019 San Francisco
0: 49ers? I got to be honest. I picked the Packers to win the NFC championship game. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I pick the Packers. I, I go back to that, that year time. and I remember the Niners were not expected to be there. They were probably a fringe playoff team to some, but when you start a season eight and O at a certain point, it becomes hard to ignore. And even yeah, throughout that no. year, I remember it's like, Oh, they haven't beat anyone tough. They haven't beat anyone tough. And then suddenly you just start looking at the schedule and you are looking at the wins and you're like, damn. Okay. Well, you know, because we, historically we've seen a giants team that is this bad in terms of personnel When it's Super Bowl,
0: what do the New York Giants do? That's great. And I know you're probably going to say rushing the football you're going to say they run the football great. They run the football above average. And uh, Dan Orlovsky has a great analysis from this week on his Twitter, where it's like they called the exact same run play nine times out of 10 plays on that final drive against the Jaguars. Like they are doing some, as he described it, sicko shit in order to get these wins. Well, we asked ourselves and
1: going back to the Brian Dayball question was, what would yeah. Brian Dayball bring from Buffalo to New York? And he's not able to run necessarily with Buffalo's offense because Daniel Jones isn't the quarterback that Josh Allen is. However, he does have some traits that are similar to what Josh Allen is able to do, particularly when it comes to his legs. That's why Daniel Jones to this point through week eight has outrushed Clyde Edwards' helaire Najee Harris a number of your other favorite running backs and it's yeah. not pretty, but what Daniel Jones also is not doing this year. He's not turning over the ball, which if you can not turn over the ball, you could run the ball well, and you can play defense and play opportunistic defense. You're going to win a lot of games in the national football league. Ooh,
0: Correction, you're going to win seven games in the National Football League. If you do all those things, you will win seven games in a season in the National Football League, where the difference for the Giants is is that they have happened to win some bullshit one score games that happen to get them to six and one. So instead of being the eight win team on paper that they are, which by the way, is a massive improvement from where we thought they were going to be at the start of the season. The difference between the four win team they were projected to be and that eight win team they are on paper is, Credit to Day Ball. Credit to getting the most out of a depleted roster.
1: Again, in the original question we asked too was who you're more impressed yeah. with. I think I'm more impressed with Seattle because they were able to come off an off season where everyone thought that they were trying to be bad. Versus, I know the Giants were trying to be good coming into this year. I knew the Giants were making moves that they thought would legitimately help them win games in the short term and long term. And we're seeing the short term results happen. We didn't expect it to happen this soon. When you hire a new coach and when they hired Brian Dayball, they were hoping that eventually they would turn into something like this. Everyone's blown away by the fact that it happened in year one.
0: Well, I don't think it has happened yet. The reason I said I'm more impressed with the Giants is that They look like, again, a team that doesn't turn the ball over, runs the ball consistently, wins these like grinded out 21 to 17 games like they did against the Titans and the Jaguars and Baltimore threw up on themselves. And that's on Baltimore. Like the fact that they've won those again, I would say the
1: 2019 San Francisco 49ers had to grind a lot of ones out.
0: Well. The difference is the 2019 San Francisco 49ers had great players. <laughs> the 2022 New York Giants don't have great players on their team. They have a bunch of dudes They that have great players. Have they the- had
1: Saquon Barkley is a great player, right? We no, Saquon Barkley is
0: a very good player. Saquon Barkley is a player that we were talking about him getting cut in the offseason. That's not a great player. Saquon Kayvon Barclay- Thibodeau is a young, emerging, very good player. That's that's not a great player yet. He's not So even what do they got
1: to do? Year. For you to buy in because i mentioned score their 30 upcoming... points
0: in a game score so 30 just, points in a football so again, game. <laughs>
1: okay it's just because you disagree <laughs> with how they're able to win games because they don't no, have the like, high flying offense. so it tells me that your idea of what a great team is is strictly based around having a great offense
0: well the new york giants strength of their team is their offense they're ranked 13th in the league in dvoa in offense and 21st in the league in defense the strength of their team is built on their offense this season the new york giants have gotten to this point because they dominate time of possession, they run the football, and at the end of these games, they're they're strength. Okay, I know is built you love offense. the
1: DVOA stat, but at a certain point you held Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens to 20 points. You held Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers to 22 points. That tells me that their defense is better than that 21st ranking that you are throwing out
0: there. Totally fair. Their their defense has been good this year which we thought it was going to be terrible and the new york giants have gotten to this place because of like we talked about the very beginning they've won every single one score game that they've played in this season if they argue that one score games are toss-ups then but winning one score games is a skill yes and no Yes and no. It's a skill, but also we've watched one-score football games. Like a half an inch sometimes determines the outcome of a football game. A yard and a half against the Jaguars determines the outcome. Here's why I'll give them more credit too game. in
1: those one-score games. Because Daniel Jones has also had to lead multiple comeback winning drives in that stretch of games. That's something that we haven't seen from Daniel Jones in his career. And I don't know if it signals a turnaround because I still want to see more from him. I don't know if he has more tank, but I still want to see more from him. But that's a resiliency that we hadn't seen from the New York Giants, especially in Daniel Jones' tenure.
0: So where this becomes like, you know how I said at the beginning they're like a bullshit playoff team is like they will get crushed by who they play in the in the wild card round. Now, if it's Tampa, that might be a different scenario because Tampa's offense is inept also. But if they play San Francisco, Dallas, uh, the Eagles, I guess Minnesota would kind of be in this group. Like there's a lot of BS teams in the NFC in I don't, general, but they will, they will get crushed by this I
1: don't know if I can say that. I don't know if I could co-sign that with 100% certainty because the Niners, what I can't make it the Niners. I just saw the Atlanta Falcons run the ball all over them, control time and possession and make it very difficult on their offense. I look around the NFC. I saw the Carolina Panthers hold the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to three points. The Green Bay Packers, I've seen them beat the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> yeah, the Vikings. that's the crazy I part. You, I, think like... that, I told you, I think the Vikings are a soft team. And when it comes to the Eagles, they'll have a chance to play the Eagles twice this year. And if they play in the playoffs, then we get into the old thing about playing a team three times. And I don't like the chances in any of those games where you have to play a division rival in the playoffs.
0: This is the crazy part is that is there a scenario where the Giants could somehow be a BS playoff team and still be a top four team in the NFC? This might be the first time I can actually say yes to that because I'm picking the New York Giants to beat the Seattle Seahawks this week and advance to seven and one. Are they a BS team? Yes. Yes. Are the Seahawks also a BS team? Kind of, but they're only four and three. So we're not hyperventilating about the Seahawks the same way we're all hyperventilating about Mm -hmm. the New York football giants. It is possible that they can be a BS team that doesn't do anything great and also might be a top four team in the NFC. It's a really weird football season, isn't it? (laughs) I
1: wanted to give the Seahawks a home boost, but Injury report news, DK Metcalf was carted off in the last game, so they're going to take a hit at the wide receiver position. And while they're not a team driven by their outside wide receivers in Lockett and Metcalf, they are a team that, on broken plays, knows how to utilize those guys. That's going to impact them in this game. That's why I'm also going to say the New York Giants are going to win. They're very similar teams in many ways. As crazy as it sounds, they're going to be 7-1 after this weekend.
0: And now starts the final quarter.
1: Buckle up. Buckle up. This is the Slump Buster Podcast. Broncos' top pass sure, Bradley Chubb, will be traded likely by Tuesday if Denver loses to the Jaguars, according to Mike Glorio. Denver is a team that went into this season with some high expectations. Obviously, you trade for Russell Wilson. You have all these assets. You get a new head coach. You're thinking you could turn around this organization in a year. Is it jarring that by week eight, we're already talking fire sale with this team?
0: Well, the answer I think is yes and no, because rare is the situation where the best teams in the NFL also happen to have a ton of draft picks. Like usually we think of like the best teams have lower draft picks and they trade picks to get better players and stuff like that. This is the rare year where the best teams in the NFL all have a ton of draft picks also like Kansas city has all of those draft picks from Miami still at their disposal. Uh, You're looking at, The uh, San Francisco 49ers with all their compensatory picks that helped them go get Christian McCaffrey. Uh, You look at the Buffalo Bills who haven't really added draft picks, but they have all of their draft picks at their disposal. They haven't made any all-in moves yet over the past three years. Green Bay is not a great team, but they're also a desperate team with a ton of draft picks. Philadelphia has an extra first round pick from New Orleans. Like somehow the best teams in the sport have also positioned themselves with an excess of draft picks. So if you're a team like Denver, New Orleans, Arizona teams that I think you look at your realistic chances to make the playoffs and say, we're either sellers or we're kind of in the middle. I think those teams should be shopping their top talent and like seeing what you can get, like putting it on the table and seeing if someone will give you an offer you can't refuse. I saw the Panthers did refuse two first round picks for Brian Burns. So clearly teams are trying to acquire top level talent and, uh, if I'm Denver, if I get a, a godfather type of offer in exchange for a Bradley Chubb, a good offer for Jerry Judy or KJ Hamler, I, I think that it's a good idea to to prioritize flexibility and possibly see if you can get good value because it seems like this is a, a a market with a lot of buyers and not a whole lot of sellers this year.
1: So is this an indictment on Russell Wilson? Is it already waving the white flag if you're the Denver Broncos?
0: I mean, yeah, but they kind of should like <laughs> the Denver Broncos. It's waving the white flag, but they also should wave the white flag at this point because there's nothing Hackett can do to save his job other than like they just turn into a top 10 offense all of a sudden, which given the injuries to Bulls, Risner, Javante Williams, Russell Wilson, I don't think that that's going to happen the rest of the season. So like, you know, the coach is on his way out the door. You have a brand new ownership group that you know, we're going to find out whether they're well run or not. So we'll see what happens there. I I think it's an indictment of the whole organization. But also, what are you going to do? Like the, Your season's already gone into the, the the dumpster. So I think realistically, they're smart to not double down on this.
1: Also mentioned in trade rumors is Jerry Judy. Jerry Judy has been connected to the New York Giants, who are also searching for a wide receiver. Is it as simple as flipping Bradley Chubb and Jerry Judy? Do you think that that will at least fix the Broncos draft issues for the next couple of years?
0: Depends what you can get. Like, this is the thing that confused me about the tweet of, like, if they lose to the Jaguars, is like, when you're doing this strategy, if you're one of these teams like Denver or Arizona or New Orleans who's shopping people, I know Arizona just traded for Robbie Anderson, but they should be shopping JJ Watt before the deadline. Like, if you're one of these teams, you should have a set price that you that a team has to meet it shouldn't be contingent on your results oriented it should be that you set a price and if a team reaches it then you consider making a trade like I don't understand that part of it and uh, again it all depends on what they get if they get a a first round pick for Jerry Judy I mean power to them they they should absolutely walk away with that one but if they get uh, a third round pick for Jerry Judy it's not as great Can they?
1: Because we look at first round picks for wide receivers. Amari was a first round pick for a wide receiver. Jerry Judy at this point in his career hasn't reached Amari Cooper standards. And then you look at, you mentioned Brian Burns almost going for two first round picks. Bradley Chubb has only been a double digit sack guy once in his career. And it was his rookie year. That was pre-knee injury Bradley Chubb. Bradley Chubb this season, a little bit of a renaissance. He's already up to five and a half. But where does that compare against pass rushers that we've seen go in the past? Because the market, we look at a guy like Khalil Mack, a couple first-round picks, a couple high-round picks there. Jamal Adams, a couple first-round picks. I know he's a safety, a DB, but still considered somewhat of a pass rusher, a bit of a hybrid. Those are what premier defensive players typically go. Is Bradley Chubb more of similar to the Von Miller deal that they got where you had two mid-round picks go? Is that more of appropriate evaluation of what Bradley Chubb is as a player.
0: Well, so if I'm Denver and that's the offer I get, I would just rather keep Bradley Chubb and extend Bradley Chubb. Like I, I don't see the reason to do that unless you're going to get an offer of like a rebuilding mm-hmm. type of package. He's like 26. I, I don't. He's 26
1: yeah. years old. Again, he's had a little bit of a bounce back in production this year. If he's at five and a half, then he's on pace to at least match his career high. 12 sacks rookie year it just feels like forever ago when we're talking about a player that was drafted way back when in
0: 2018 yeah yeah, this would be his fifth season at this point. No, this would be his fourth season at this point because he missed that year with the injury. So, I mean, I'm just interested by what they would even get for Bradley Chubb. Like, uh, is it an offer just to get rid of him? Because usually this is a thing that happens in the NFL. We're learning this with the Matt Ryan trade and we're learning this with the Carson Wentz trade. And uh, we kind of le- have learned it. Like, there's a reason that teams trade players. Usually, a symbiotic relationship of if a team wants you, a player usually signs an extension. Is that a case of players don't have the same amount of like contractual freedom as, say, the NBA does? Part of it is true, and another part of it is. Teams rarely ever let their players go unless they have a good reason to do so. And I know that's changed a little bit the last couple of years. So maybe Denver has information we don't about Judy and Bradley Chubb. From from a surface level point of view, it looks like a desperation play if you feel like you have to trade those guys for 70 cents on the dollar.
1: So let's say that he went for the Von Miller deal. That was a second and a third round pick in 2021. Based off his production, I would say that that would sound about right because the thing you look about with Von Miller, particularly when the Broncos traded him, he seemed like he was a declining player. Obviously, we've seen that Von Miller had a little bit of second life once he went to Los Angeles and what he's doing right now with the Buffalo Bills. But a second and a third round pick was the value at the time. I would say, again, based off a guy that rarely reaches double digit sacks or at least has only done it once in his career. I would say a second and a third round pick fills about, right? Because again, premium pass rushers, that's hard to find in the NFL. That's a position that's hard to replicate. So I think Bradley Chavez, he goes to the right fit. And part of the problem is finding the right fit. I, every team could use a pass rusher. There's no team that yeah. could not use a pass rusher. I mean, the thing that has made the Niners good is, okay, let's have a defensive line just stacked with three pass rushers deep. And that's why the Niners have been able to be good. It's one of those underrated positions but yet also the one of the more highly paid positions if you had a guy who could get the get the quarterback to the ground. Bradley Chubb, I would say if they are able to get at least multiple seconds. I would say if you give me multiple seconds for Bradley Chubb, I think that that's worth it. If I can get maybe a first and a third, first and a fourth, okay. I could kind of work with it. I would prefer the first and third or two seconds. But if we have to kind of like negotiate a little bit, I understand it. Jerry Judy, at worst, worse, a second round pick. I don't think that if you're gaining a third round pick or a fourth round pick for a guy you drafted in the first round a couple of years ago, that that's a worth a deal to make, especially because if you want this Russell Wilson experiment to work, if you really want it to work, you probably need Jerry Judy and you probably need Courtland Sutton and you need those pieces that on the outside that we thought when Russ went to town would have made better. And you just hope that Russell Wilson with Whoever the next head coach is, whoever the next offense play caller is, can figure it out with those two wide receivers because they're cheaper than some of the other premium wide receivers in the league.
0: Yeah, and, and one of the things to note about Bradley Chubb is that he's playing this year on the fifth year option, which is a unique situation for someone who's a top five pick because usually top five picks don't end up in that limbo of like, well, we think he's like a franchise tag player. He's a classic franchise tag player type of situation. And so... Maybe Denver just does it to avoid the franchise tag conundrum. I mean, it seems pretty clear that if they wanted to keep Bradley Chubb long term, they would have extended him by now. So maybe this is just to avoid that limbo. But the point of the trade should not be we're not competing anymore this season. The point of the trade should be we get value that we feel is equivalent <laughs> to what Bradley Chubb is worth. And here, so here, I'll give I, you a trade. I don't trade. know how that's going to work. I'll out. give you a
1: trade Denver Broncos, Aaron Rodgers to Denver. Russell Wilson to Green Bay, throw in Bradley Chubb. We'll just solve everyone's <laughs> issues.
0: We'll throw in Jerry. It doesn't solve that. anyone's issues. It just makes everyone sad. It just makes everyone involved sad. Everyone's <laughs>
1: already sad. Everyone in Green Bay and Denver is sad this season.
0: Yeah, I know, but you're not going to, you already dug your own graves with those ones. Russell Wilson's going to be the Broncos quarterback for three years. Aaron Rodgers is going to be the Packers quarterback for four no, no, no. years. Y'all you would make Daniel Hackett on that
1: very happy. Because then he would have job security with Aaron Rodgers because. No, he wouldn't. No, he would not. He absolutely (laughs) would. Nathaniel Hackett is probably only in Denver because they wanted to trade for Aaron
0: Rodgers. And it was a terrible experiment because he's a bad offensive coach who doesn't know clock management. It was clearly not qualified for that job. Okay, I won't
1: dispute you on the clock thing. Or. Russell Wilson ruins head coaches. Russell Wilson ruins offensive coordinators.
0: <sighs> I, I don't want to diminish the legacy of Russell Wilson in Seattle. I, I don't want to be disrespectful. has diminished
1: Russell Wilson. I don't Richard want to Sherman be disrespectful. every week disrespects on Russell Wilson. Oh,
0: yeah, I get that. It's just, Doug Baldwin, I don't.
1: Just out of free time decides, you know what? What have I done today? I ate, I shaved. Have I tweeted about Russell Wilson? No, I haven't. Let me get that done.
0: Bruce Irvin. Bruce Irvin's been going after Russell Wilson this year. Like Denver's case at this point is if you trade Jerry Judy and if you trade Bradley Chubb, you are preserving money to then spend on another receiver. If you are making those moves, you are preserving financial flexibility in order to spend that money somewhere else. I think, again, my my whole thing about the Denver Broncos is the Broncos are a team that 10 years from now, maybe not exactly 10, but they're going to look up and be like, huh, it's been 15 years since we won a playoff game. How about that? It's been 15 years since we're basically the 2000s Miami Dolphins as Patrick Mahomes wins 15 division titles in 16 years like the Patriots. And and I think that a lot of times when we're talking about the Broncos, it's a damned if you do damned if you don't situation. Will trading Bradley Chubb solve their problems? No. Will it make them better? I don't know. Like, they're just kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't, because there is really nothing they can do at this point. I still believe that nine and a half times out of ten, I'm making the Russell Wilson trade knowing the information I, I have now because yeah. who turns down Russell Wilson for two first-round picks see, and you see the problem. And
1: the problem is when I made that trade, I was hoping I was acquiring Russell Wilson, not shorter Brock Osweiler.
0: Oh, yeah, that's totally fair. It's still better than what the Broncos QB situation has been in the last few years, and Russell Wilson's going to get uh, three years to work Kenny through Bridgewater this.
1: might be the better quarterback.
0: <laughs> it's fair. I just give it, give it more time with Russell because he's okay, going to get we, three years to work. I guess through we got to
1: give it more time. I said Green Bay is a potential trade destination. Give me a Bradley Chubb trade destination before we head out.
0: What would be a great trade destination? You know who would be fun? Dallas. That would be great. Dallas would be fun. Just plop him in for Randy Gregory. They they swap outside <laughs> right. linebackers. That I, I feel like cool.
1: we we both kind of had the same mindset, right? Let's we'll just try and solve each other's issues. Let's go back to the offseason and throw up some storylines.
0: I'll also throw out a name that isn't getting thrown around. I think it's more likely that KJ Hamler gets dealt instead of Jerry Judy because team more teams can afford kj hamler's price tag of what like a fourth round pick i think green bay would throw a fourth round pick at kj hamler i that's think that's a that, very green uh, bay
1: move that is a yeah. very green bay move Let, let's save on wide receivers right
0: yeah pretty much you know the the uh the 49ers got some injuries we'll just throw a fourth round pick at kj hamler you got a uh, baltimore got over there needing to left. <laughs> yeah Baltimore over there needing an extra receiver. We'll just throw a little pick at KJ you know, Hamler.
1: I don't hate that one. I don't hate that one. I think that that one have potential Baltimore. I could see being a team that makes gets in on that mix. I would say Minnesota also M- name another NFC North power. If Minnesota did, I think they could use a little bit of a boost to their pass rush to kind of make them a more physical team.